Brown Girl Radiance celebrates the brilliance of women of color through reflective conversations and stories. I'm your host, Pure Brown Joy. So I'm very excited today to welcome a new voice to Brown Girl Radiance podcast. Uh, Joining in our Michelle Obama Becoming Book Club, this guest actually uh, is near and dear to my heart. We have well over 20 years of friendship. I've known them since the sixth grade, (laughs) officially, right? Sixth grade. Uh, (laughs) We were BFFs before, you know, that was a thing. So definitely... Uh, someone who uh, has been influential in my in my life and especially in my formative years, we used to do a whole lot of of uh, talking and you know conversations about all kinds of things. So mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> so it, it seemed only natural that when she told me that she too enjoyed listening to uh, becoming on the audible edition of it that I just had to get her on the show. So I'm so excited to welcome S Squared. Why, thank you, ma'am. I, uh, that is an awesome intro. If I ever need you to introduce <laughs> me anywhere else, you, you may need to be on standby. <laughs> well, we'll talk. We'll talk. We'll, you know, we'll offline. <laughs> Uh, but uh, so we'll just we'll just go ahead and, and, and jump right in because, you know, you and I, we can we can talk all day. Uh, but the people, they only have so much bandwidth, my listeners, my radiant friends, as I like to call them. So we'll go ahead and jump into the conversation. And right. so my first question for you is what stood out to you and or resonated with you from the Becoming book? You know, I believe the the very early years and you brought up formative years when you were describing our relationship and so that is certainly an aspect of the book that really resonated with me for example her first day of school um she was so excited and i think there was the incident where she had to stand up and say the colors that the teacher showed in front of the class and she just knew She's like, I've got this down pat. And then she froze. She knew the color. It was on the tip of her tongue, but it just would not come to her. And at that point, when the teacher told her to sit down, she knew that the teacher had had some type of an an assessment of her at that point. And pretty much what you read into it is that she didn't like whatever that assessment was because it equated to failure to her. Even then, starting out, her academic journey, she already knew that people were about to put you in a box depending on their assessment of you. And so for her to recognize that at such an early age, and it's not something that she just forgot about later on. She went back the next day and wanted to have another go at it because she's like, no, I'm going to change whatever perception, whatever assessment you've levied on to me based on my performance yesterday, I want to change that. And so I think that right there, I was like, wow. Okay, so greatness with her started from a very early age. <laughs> right. <laughs> kindergarten, kindergarten. Yeah. yeah, like that's the whole genesis of your academic career. And from that point, she knew she only wanted to achieve excellence, which for many black women, that's how we feel. And I'm speaking from a black woman's point of view since I am one. <laughs> right. So, right. you know, that is definitely what is kind of heaped on our shoulders, right? Excel, right. excel, drive, you know, achieve, achieve, exceed, exceed. So that's just something that sometimes is just kind of within us or it's external influences or, you know, what have you. So I, I know that one is it's one of the really early instances and that stuck with me. Um, I would say that there's another instance that I have, and I, and this instance really resonated with me because I had not exactly the exact same experience, but I kind of had a similar incident. And so there's a part of the book where there's, a, I believe, a family member or a neighborhood girl who starts to almost kind of like bully her, and she laments the fact of how she speaks. 
that she 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 doesn't speak like the rest of them. It's almost like there's this condescending, well, you don't really sound like us. You must be trying to be white, right? Right. And it's funny, that stuck with me and I and it made me chuckle a little bit, even though I know when she was when Michelle herself was going through it at the time, it was nothing to laugh at. But I will never forget there was a classmate who I called. I called her up. And her little brother answered the phone. And I simply said, hello there, I'd like to speak with XYZ. That's all I said. And I said it just like that. And I heard him, I could tell that he had kind of put the phone down a little bit. And he called out to her and he said, hey, there's some white girl on the phone for you. just said what made you make that determination right then and there so <laughs> I just I look back on that and laugh so you know I'm not getting bullied or anything in, in, in that instance but it always comes back to perception right and like yeah. what certain people will associate with certain with other people so I just I just find that that and that really like I said, resonated with me. And I was like, wow, I kind of have a not so similar, but kind of similar experience as well that I'm just like, yeah, I get it. I, I get it. You're, uh, you're like, well, well, what's wrong with the way I speak? You know? So. <laughs> yeah, no. I, actually, so it's, it's funny. Both of, both of those stories to me kind of tie in together um, because like you said, when it comes to the standard that we as black women set for ourselves. It's very high. Um, in fact, there was a, a quote in that, the movie Queen and Slim, where, <laughs> where basically Queen is saying, like, you know, she was a lawyer and she's like, I was an excellent lawyer. And, and Slim is like, how come black people always have to be excellent? <laughs> you know, so, yeah. Um, but I mean, but at the same time, like black women are actually the most educated Mm-hmm. Um, group of people, you know, in, in the United States, a lot of people don't right. know that or realize that, but, but there is also, you know, kind of this duality that comes with it, which is what you mentioned. And we, we talked, um, about that particular aspect, um, a lot on the, the first episode of the season, just like being labeled as like talking white Exactly. And that being something that is like for uh, for a young black woman, like you said, I mean, you were just a, a kid at that point to be mm-hmm. like labeled that and trying to reconcile that because it's like this is this is just how I talk. I'm not trying to be X. I'm just existing as myself. Mm-hmm. And and the way that I talk, maybe it's something that you're not used to hearing. But but this is who I am, you know, and and then when you grow up, you actually realize that a lot of a lot of you know black women women can relate to that you know experience of being told that they talk white and it's like that whole again just that duality that we exist in um even even now which i think when you when you come into adulthood though you definitely uh, have that like confidence. And so you're not necessarily like labeled in that same way that you were, you know, as a child or maybe even in adolescence. But that's one thing too, that I liked about, um, which I talked about, uh, again, during the first episode, but once we got into our middle school, I felt like I was surrounded with other African-Americans who, you know, we spoke in the same manner. And so all of a sudden I felt like that label went away and it just allowed us to, to really be ourselves and and to thrive. And that's, that's probably why you and I had so many great conversations growing up. Cause it was just like, again, this was just the way we talked and it was, you know, no, no judgment in uh, enjoying speaking in, you know, standard English, but at the same time, still having that like appreciation for slang as well, being a part of our culture. Um, So, yeah. So, yeah, but I think those two things, again, like go hand in hand, that standard of excellence. And then as a result of that, 
um, sometimes how you just being who you are, people will try to like label you in a, in a certain, you know, a certain way that is really just a result of ignorance or lack of exposure. So exactly, exactly. I mean, I think for you, when you mentioned really our surrounding, so I think we both understand that we grew up fairly sheltered and we had even the fringe friend circle that also grew up similarly. So for us, we enjoyed things like maybe we enjoyed wordplay and we enjoyed being able to have these conversations of things that interested us. And I think we uniquely didn't necessarily have certain pressures that our other contemporaries maybe did. And so that goes to show that once you're able to find and, and you recognize that you're not the only one, and that always is a good feeling right or wrong when you realize that there are others, quote unquote, like you, you're like, okay, all right. You know, I'm, I'm not abnormal. Like this is doable too. And like I said, right or wrong, feeling that validation is, is key. And especially in your formative years. Most definitely. Uh, So that actually um, will kind of, will take a little, (laughs) a little, uh, step in a, in a slightly different direction because uh, one thing that I wanted to ask you about, um, you're actually the, the first mom or mother that I've had on this season. So I wanted to also kind of talk to you a little bit about your perspective on, you know, some of the things that Michelle shared being a mother and then um, some of your experiences as well. So Michelle beautifully describes motherhood and her pregnancy saying, I walked around with this secret inside of me. This was my privilege, the gift of being female. I felt bright with the promise of what I carried. Did that resonate with you as a mother? And, and also what have you experienced, um, you know, with your sons? Correct. You know, that sums it up really beautifully when you're pregnant, people are, and they find out you're pregnant and they know, and people are excited for you. And, you know, they ask you how you are. They ask, you know, how far along, you know, all these things, but it's still never like a constant thing for anyone else. So even for my husband, who obviously is sharing in this experience with me and, but it's still nothing that is a 24 seven experience for him. Right. Right. So even, you know, if he calls me or, you know, we're at home and even if he can put his hand on my belly and feel kicks and all of that, it's not a constant thing. And then on top of that, even though this child is just as much his as it is mine, I get this additional time with our child that he doesn't get. So to her point, it is that secret. It is that gift. It is that all-consuming because when you're pregnant, it really does consume you because it dictates how you feel that day, what you're eating, what you're drinking or not drinking, (laughs) you know, so (laughs) it is all-consuming and it's so uniquely female. Uh, So I completely could agree with her on that particular statement, Um, And another thing is that even for the quote-unquote least nurturing seemingly type of woman, it automatically kind of puts you into this this nurturing role. And when 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 you're pregnant and you have the kiddos, and so it's just something that you know is uniquely you. And, you know, for for my boys, I know she had two girls, and so for my sons, there's always this special relationship with the opposite gender parent, right? (laughs) Uh, You know, you have the stereotypical daddy girls, you have the stereotypical mama boys. uh, And, you know, my sons are definitely mama boys. Um, (laughs) And, you know, husband, (laughs) so hoping uh, to have a girl the second time because my oldest is also a boy. Because he stated that he was like, well, maybe I'll get a child that'll actually love me. (laughs) (laughs) 
Now he's joking, right? I mean, my oldest as well as my, my youngest one, they love him with everything they have, but it is different when you have boys. And when I speak with moms that have girls, it, it's just, it's a different type of a relationship. You are still the mother. You still carried them. You know, you still had that same experience when your child's in utero, but once they're out, mm. it's, it's slightly different. So I probably can't uniquely identify with her raising two mm-hmm. girls. Right. But for me, my boys are definitely mama boys. And to kind of harp on the fact of this being something that's so special and that bond between moms mm-hmm. and sons, you know, I, I've mentioned before that my hubby and I have, we both are working parents. And so, you know, we try to schedule and we try to make sure there's constant communication about who's picking up what child, what day for what special thing, whether it's some type of extracurricular. And so it, it becomes difficult. It becomes really, really difficult to juggle all of that. And so there's, there's one time where we're going back and forth and trying to schedule a dentist appointment and we've scheduled it before and then we've had to reschedule and then we've had to cancel and then we've had to schedule and then we forgot about it. So finally we're like, okay, we're going to make a plan. These boys have got to go to the dentist. And so I'm looking at my schedule and I'm like, well, I have meetings on this day. And, you know, hubby's like, well, I've got meetings and I've got things this day. And then, you know, we're juggling and trying to horse trade. And finally he says, well, you know, well, you're the mama. So (laughs) it's on you. Like I give up, you know, you the mama, this is kind of the thing that you should be doing. Right. So, um, <laughs> you didn't become the mama on your own. I just, <laughs> exactly. exactly. I had a help in that. And, and so that is, that's also kind of another, uh, struggle, which, um, I know that Michelle touched on that in the book. Right. So even as, uh, you know, president, uh, Barack was trying to win and begin his political um, efforts, you know, at the at the state level, and then moving on to the presidential level, that was always a, a source of contention. You know, right. so much so she she resented him for a while, and right. that can easily happen because it's kind of like, so you're really saying that what you're doing is more important than what I'm doing, and <laughs> of course, if you ask people on the outside looking in, you're like, okay, president of the United States or lawyer or hospital administrator in the league, people are going to be like, well, I mean, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Going for the president of the United States is probably going to outrank whatever you do, but that's really not fair. Right. Because she put in just as much hard work uh, for her credentials and for her degrees and for the work that she had already put in, she put in hard work. She sacrificed the fact that she really didn't even, she came to the realization that, you know what, I, working at the law firm and, 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 you know, clocking these billable hours is really not my thing. You know, she even had this epiphany. So mm-hmm. for her to have gone through all of that and then to kind of find something that was a sweet spot for her and that she was able to get a decent work balance. But then there's this huge elephant of the room where it's like, OK, well, he's going to be president of the United States there's a certain duty that I've got to do. And that means I'm, I've got to sacrifice. So um, I'm not kind of ventured way more <laughs> in, into that, but that kind of all kind of flowed together from, you know, I, I don't, I don't share her journey in the fertility struggle. Right. But it's certainly, I get the, the want and the the joy of being pregnant, of having the children, raising the children. So I certainly can understand where she's going through. Um, the 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 moment where she talks about the doctor says, I believe it's uh, Malia. Um, you know, is it, maybe kind of jutting up against the the BMI issue, right? You know, mm, or her weight. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and Michelle had to look. And she's like, wow, like I. I that's not something that that struck me that that was, that this was going to be an issue. 
So you always have to be ready to pivot, you know, when, when you have the, the kids and it's different again, between having the daughters and the sons, you know, my, my sons are, are very active and, you know, especially my little one, he's two <laughs> and he loves to just jump off of things. Right. He likes the, he likes the <laughs> whole experience of climbing up and then jumping off. And, and sometimes it's, it's jumping and I'm not even looking at where I'm jumping into. So um, you know, my experience with my boys is unlike anything else I've ever done in my life. And I could tell throughout Michelle's uh, memoir that motherhood is held in the same esteem for her as well. You know, it's mm-hmm. one of the most important jobs. And whenever you wanted to see her ticked off, you try to go after her girls. Right. You know, she loves husband. She had his back. You know, she wanted to make sure she supported them. But when it comes to motherhood, uh, that was a huge deal for her, protecting her girls. And and so along those lines, too, for you, like, so while there are, you know, maybe some similarities that you can see, what do you think are probably some of those major differences that you have experienced um, raising two young Black kings you know, versus her having the two girls. Correct. And I think we touched on early on, right, with uh, with our, our Black women and, and our Black females, understanding that we are one of the most educated uh, sectors, right, within the U.S. There's some external influences there. There's a whole lot of intrinsic, internal push and motivation, right? right. Um, and so for... For our boys, um, you know, I would love to see them right there lockstep with with our black women, right, as far as education and achievement and, and, and drive and, and having achievement and drive in, in a diversity of things, right? Right. And so, you know, for my boys, I want to make sure that, first off, they have a childhood, and I know that that is going to be supremely difficult, knowing that when they grow into black men, um, they're going to have some unique challenges. And so, you know, as an example, I have a two-year-old and a 10-year-old. And so my two-year-old, similar to when my oldest was the same age, people of all color, it doesn't matter, color, creep, whatever. If we go into a grocery store and I have my two-year-old in a buggy, he is just waving and saying hi to people, and they make sure they speak back. And so a 15-minute grocery store run could turn into half an hour because everybody <laughs> wants to stop and play with him, and, you know, he'll say these cutesy little things. He is just adorable. My 10-year-old will be right next to me. Nobody says a thing. And I, I get it, right? Babies are, are cutesy. Um, and so the, the, the challenge that we're getting at his age is that he now needs to start to become aware of the fact that people may perceive him uh, as a three, as a threat. And Mm -hmm. so even at 10, he is ever so slightly taller, slightly taller than what may be considered kind of normal for his age, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so even though he's still a sweet kid on initial introduction, I see a lot of people who, unless they know him, will kind of look at him sideways, will, you know, not have the same kind of jovial interaction uh, with, you know, my two-year-old like they, like they do my 10-year-old. And so, you know, for him, I have to, to prepare him. So while I still want him to have a childhood that is indeed a childhood, my husband and I would be doing him a disservice if we don't prepare him for how people may perceive him, Right. So, you know, generally, for instance, as an example, you know, he's grown up with this thought of, you know, police officers should be taking this stance of, you know, serving and and protecting, right? Right. Um, But the reality out there is that many of them may have their own biases, consciously or not. And, you know, I have to make sure that he's aware and I have to have conversations that his seemingly innocent actions may be perceived as threatening. And so he needs to be aware of his surrounding 
and be able to react accordingly. You know, you think of an instance like a Tamir, like a Tamir Rice, right? Yeah. He is a child. Right. Truly, he's a child. Now, is he potentially maybe slightly taller or bigger than an, an average, you know, 12-year-old? Probably. Uh, but still, he is seemingly just playing and he's gunned down, right? So that's okay. where I go back to my son, unfairly, he at this age needs to start being aware of his surroundings and he needs to be able to react accordingly. So as an example, again, this isn't fair, this isn't right, but my whole goal is to make sure that he can make it alive through an encounter that he is still here years from now. So as an example, if there's a resource officer in his school, and those are you, those folks are sometimes even um, equipped with wearing, uh, carrying a weapon as well. So for a resource officer at his school, he may need to go out of his way to personally get to know him or her so as to allay any perceived fears or begin breaking down potential biases that that individual may have. So that's like an example that I may give him of how he can be able to react accordingly or maybe even preemptively uh, act accordingly when he's in certain environments. And so, you know, yes, it's sad because I want him to just have this general idea that there's good and bad. Police officers are great. And the vast majority of them will always look to serve and protect and will, you know, just only question you and, and maybe won't have any of their biases creep in. But I think we've seen um, that that's not the case. So those are the types of things that I have to be sure that I prepare him for. Just like I'm sure Michelle has, you know, to prepare, you know, her girls for their own biases, right? There's that okay. kind of intersectionality of being uh, both a female and black. So that's a, even a, a different conversation, right? Um, you know, I need to make sure that my sons understand consent when they get to that age, when we're talking about dating and things like that. Like, it's just, it's, it's similar topics, but it's going to be, it, it's different point of views is what I would suspect. Not, not raising a girl, but um, I would suspect you're going to have very similar conversations, but just maybe different point of views. Yeah, definitely. I think too, like what, what you hit on there, it's, it's like, so you're basically as a mom right now, you're on almost two different planes having to have that conversation so early. And it makes me think um, too about again, queen and slim and just how um, at the like premise of the story, even though it is fictional, but the story itself is based in so much reality of the Black experience and how Black men are perceived, how Black women are perceived. And yeah. so as a result of that, then what are the, what is the action um, that, you know, that these characters have to take? And it, it really is, you know, based on a lot of like what you said in terms of, you know, ha having to have that conversation with your oldest son even at this age and then even too like you said with um with young women and uh michelle i'm sure there is a lot that you know she was um able to impart into her daughters even as they're you know becoming young women now um i know malia's in college and i mm -hmm. believe sasha's getting close um yeah. To, to that point, but, you know, you also hit on the fact of, you know, still some of those perceptions uh, about Black women, and, um, and I remember in the preface of the book, Michelle talks about being stereotyped as an angry Black woman, um, and she said she wondered which part of the phrase mattered most to her critics. Was it angry, Black, or woman? So I uh, just wanted to ask you, have you ever experienced being labeled as an angry Black woman, or have you ever just felt like you were being treated in a certain way, like in the workplace or otherwise, because of being a Black woman? Oh, yeah. I, I, I tell you, and I mentioned uh, previously kind of the, the intersectionality of being both Black and female, um, 
you know, one of my, my earlier work experiences being uh, an individual contributor at the time. So I was not in management, but when I joined the group, good group, right? Uh, the vast majority of the group was male and non-black. So I was the only. <laughs> and while things were never overtly said or done, I always felt like they thought that I should be more nurturing or that I should be doing more female things. Like, for instance, like maybe they expected that I was going to come to the team and for everybody's birthday, I was going to start maybe getting cards and passing it around. (laughs) Nope. That's not what I do. Not real great at events. That's just, that's just who I'm, that's just what I'm not. First, I hate event planning of any type, but, uh, but yeah, I I, I got that vibe kind of like, well, Sharon, you know, such and such is birthdays next week. Oh yeah. Oh, that's great. That's it. That's all you're going to get from me. <laughs> um, <laughs> actually, um, our team, we were putting on a, a conference. First time ever. Guess who was uh, given that task? <laughs> <laughs> the only lady. Uh, we were moving from one system to another of where we kept our documents. Very administrative, very, very, very administrative. And even in this role as an individual contributor, it was a fairly strategic role. But because I was the, I felt that because I was the only black woman, I was the only woman first off in the group. And then, of course, there's that stereotypical black woman who takes care of everyone, right? As you see in media, old sitcoms, you know, always taking care of everybody else. Guess who got signed up to lead that administrative task of moving files from one system to another? This gal here. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and the whole time, I was like, I have got to be so very careful of how I respond. I wanted right. to respond how anyone else who would have responded who felt that a certain task or certain expectations that were levied against them weren't accurate, which is kind of the first to kind of be indignant. Like, what? You're not asking anybody else to do that. I really wanted to come off like that. But because I know that like Michelle Obama, there is this stereotype out there, right? Of being angry black woman, right? And so in that, in those tasks, one where I had the power to just be like, no, that's not who I am. I did that. And then there were other times when I knew I didn't really have a choice so that I had to have a measured response. So even when I'm talking about the task that I have to do that I know or I feel is unfairly being heaped upon me, I had to watch my tone, right? Mm -hmm. Similar to me trying to prepare my son in ensuring that he can react accordingly to people's perceptions, I got to do that too. And so I have to make sure that I'm watching my tone, uh, that, you know, I even watch my words. And mm-hmm. so that is something that I, I deal with on a daily basis. I was just talking to uh, another colleague of mine who also is a black woman. And that was our, our conversation. We're both managers. And even in management, we still have to, know which battles to fight and we still have to know what how to equip ourselves to fight this battle so while our non-black male counterparts may be able to blow up and 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 curse people and act like a child we know we can't because it won't be perceived the same way while they're looked at as wanting to drive results and to try to motivate people, we're going to be looked at as we are angry, we're upset, we have some chip on our shoulder, and ultimately, no, we, we can't consider you all for further advancement. So I, I could hone in completely on that. And, and then there's these, these 
microaggressions is kind of what's been thrown out here, you know, lately as certain terms, right? And so, you know, even before I, I, I hit management, I had to watch my interaction when I wasn't even prepared when people, other colleagues come up to me. I had one one guy who came up to me. I am minding my business, getting my coffee on a Monday morning. Now, again, <laughs> because I got to watch myself and I know myself, I know that I need to have at least half a cup of coffee in my body before I am ready to present myself to the world. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I like to come in early so I have that time to kind of get myself together, right? right? And so, you know, I have this gentleman who comes up to me on a Monday morning, and while I'm minding my own business, he starts off the conversation with, oh, hello. Um, and I'm like, hmm. <laughs> how am I going to – I pause because I'm like, how to respond? Because – I don't think that I'm jumping to conclusions, right? Before he says anything else, I'm like, I bet he thinks that's cute or funny. And this isn't someone who I'm close with. So I'm like, hmm. So I just kind of really kind of ignore it a little bit. And then he can, then he proceeds to say, oh yeah, you know, I just saw that the latest Tyler Perry movie and, you know, it was great and it was wonderful. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, well, you know, I I have not seen that. (laughs) <laughs> and I kind of left it at that. Um, and, and, but even in that response, I, I tried to myself, I tried to come off as even killed and just conversationally like, oh, okay, well, you know, yeah, I haven't seen that. And, and then walk away before anything else escalated. But really my thought was, so did you do that to everyone this morning? <laughs> Or did right. you just single me out? <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, I will, I will say, I, I think that, you know, obviously with like the opening of Tyler Perry Studios and everything, it's just, you know, such an amazing, inspirational story. Um, and I do think that he's done a lot of, you know, outstanding things in terms mm-hmm. of celebrating our people. But to your point... <laughs> I haven't seen all the Medea movies mm-hmm. <laughs> and don't make that assumption about me and you know, greet me uh, with a Medea greeting or, you know, exactly. or even, you know, assume that like, again, some of those images that you might see in those films represent all black people, you know, and I, I too have experienced, like you said, those microaggressions, whether it's sometimes people just saying things to you like, Hey girlfriend. And you're mm-hmm. like, can you yeah. can you just, mm. can you just drop that part that last yeah. part and just say just hello a, just a good morning it, it right. works just fine right. or right. or hello yeah. any other salutation outside of right. the hey girl or hey sister you know right we, we just, right we don't have to go there right we like just, just we don't yeah just just at, like just be normal <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. treat me exactly. like a like a normal human human being right like. Um, a normal person, colleague, coworker, et cetera. So yeah, no, I've definitely uh, experienced those things. And even just like sometimes, again, how people will throw slang terminology at you yeah. or certain like pop culture phrases. Like I remember a few years ago when that phrase by Felicia, when that wow. was like really popular, like a, a white uh, coworker said that to me. And I was like, where's that from? I, yeah. right, I literally was like, what, where's that from? Yeah. And, <laughs> and then they were like, Oh, like from, from the movie Friday. And it's like, okay. I mean, I saw Friday like years ago when it came exactly. out, but like, again, but again, like don't assume that, you know, that, um, that, that is a proper like phrase to use in conversation with me. So exactly. Um, and you know, what's funny is that I even have to watch my tone, even though I'm a manager now and I have staff that reports to me, I even have to watch my tone even when I need to criticize or admonish one yes, of my staff members. Definitely. I even have yep. to be I have to be careful of how they're gonna perceive this criticism. Because one time I had this one staff member who made an anti-Semitic so we're in the let me so we're in the South, right? And so there are some right. southern sayings that are not sensitive to, to different groups of people. It's not. And so I had one of my staff who 
was an older, probably potentially boomer generation. I'm not trying to characterize, but I'm just trying to give context of this, of this particular incident. And so we're talking and we're, we're talking about negotiation. And I look at her and I say, you can't say that. We're going to have to rephrase that to where we just need to negotiate to get the most competitive pricing. I had to really kind of think on the fly of how I was going to handle that. We're in a professional work setting. You can't say that. We're born, some of us were born and bred in the South, and there are things that, and, and certain things that you say that you don't even recognize anymore because you've been saying it so long, maybe some type of a, of a, of a statement that, that could be insensitive. But, you know, so for, even for in that situation, I had to pause for a second. And I was like, how's the best way to admonish and correct this woman who's older than me, who's, mm. very, who's very much older than me, who's been with this uh, company at the time longer than me? How, how can I correct her? And in a way that I'm not going to be perceived as having an attitude or I'm always taking it to the quote unquote race card or, you know, racist card or prejudice uh, uh, card in this case, or that I was blowing this all out of proportion, but I had to take a step. I was like, all right, this is what's going to be important. How are you going to handle this? So that's why I geared myself up, made sure that my tone wasn't angry or condescending, but it was just a, you can't say that. You can't say that here. We got to say something else instead. Well, and I think too, like a lot of times, like to your point, the, like the tone, your word choice, these are things that, you know, I think we specifically, I will say black women as well as women, um, always just have to have this constant awareness because, you know, to your point, um, you can, if you're, if you're too direct, (laughs) then, you know, you might be seen as having a certain name or if you have, again, if you set and you want to hold people to a high standard, again, you might be labeled a certain name. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, it, it's, you know, as a, especially like you said, as being a leader and being a leader of individuals. So really kind of finding that way to be your authentic self. And when you need to, you know, hold someone to a standard, be able to do that, but at the same time, not have essentially uh, your, like, people or someone sensationalizing what you mm-hmm. what you have said. And I think um, that also comes just, like, over time, like, once people kind of learn your character, that, yep. you know, because it's like you said, you you, if you just doing like that simple act of like, you can't say that it's, that could turn into, and she told me, you better not ever say that again. And, you know, and just all these other things. And and it's just like, wait, no, like all I said was this, like one little thing. And Mm -hmm. so, so yeah, I think it's, it's definitely something that's very unique um, to us. Um, But, and I also think about too, just like the, situation with Serena Williams that happened uh, a couple years ago with the referee and I mean you talk about uh like a champion who is still at the top of their craft and just has set all of these records but even the way that you know people still try to put her in this box and say you know she has an attitude or all these different things and it's like there's plenty of male tennis players (laughs) Who, exactly. Who uh, you know are extremely aggressive towards the rest oh, yeah. and say some very uh, you know inappropriate things. But again, it's just like in her, which she wasn't even like yelling or anything. She was actually trying to. If you watch the playback, she was trying to like rationalize with the referee, exactly. and then it kind of you know got to a point where you know he so all those different things, like you can even be, again, at that highest level um, mm-hmm. of excellence, right? Going back to our original uh, kind of uh, dialogue around that. And at some point, somebody will, you know, sometimes try to put you in that box, even when you are trying to defend something or take a stance on something that is noteworthy. 
of your mm-hmm. time because of course we all have to pick and choose our battles but yeah so definitely uh <laughs> just a part of our experience right you know exactly and, that is a fact that, uh that michelle g- gave us some 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 great uh examples of ways you know to just transcend that or or and or to just accept it <laughs> As, you know, kind of the nature of of where we are currently, but still, you know, uh, embracing your strength, who you are, and and being able to change the narrative about you that people who don't know you try to place on you. So Exactly. So I will say, I think uh, when I, like, in reading this this book, because there's just, just, you know, so much, which is why, you know, we're even doing this book club, because I feel like each episode, it's hard to tackle all the different issues um, and, um, or even just the, the different forms of inspiration that she's given us in one episode, but, um, I wanted, uh, I wanted to ask you, you know, in terms of the last section of the book, becoming more, when, when you read through kind of all those different stories, cause becoming more is, is essentially once the Obamas <laughs> went to the, uh, white house. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, when you just read all of, of, of those different um, experiences that she shared. It, to me, it feels like an additional verse of the National Black Anthem, Lift Every Voice and Sing, which is one of my favorite songs. And so I, I felt like it was inspiring, and yet it was always very reflective of the realities of our past, as well as that journey for the Obamas to become the first family. And so oh, I wanted wow. to ask you, what left you feeling inspired or hopeful about um, some of the stories that she shared? Um, you know, I, I loved, you know, her, her first interaction, you know, with the, uh, the British royalty. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is so fun. But you know what I, I loved about that entire time is that everything during the White House still smacked and reeked of who she was, right? And what right. was important to her. And so what you got was, okay, this Black family, through all of the mess that it took for them to get there, they were still able to, in some ways, still be themselves. And it was and it's probably more so in retrospect, even more, even more so than when they were actually in the White House. But in retrospect, you're able to see and take a look specifically at Michelle's journey from her starting. She, it's not like she grew up in extreme wealth. Um, you know, she had a, a father that had a, a chronic condition that was debilitating to a point that it, it took his life. Um, you know, you, you had a, a mother who um, was extremely bright and could achieve herself. And she sacrificed to ensure that her kids could become great. Um, you know, she had all of the achievements academically, professionally, even to her realizing uh, that maybe she wanted to redirect her career path. So all of that before the becoming more and then hitting the becoming more, she's still like, these are the, the same things that were important to me before I got here. They're still important. And so I'm going to figure out ways to leave a little piece of who I am at this part of the journey. And so I felt like the, the, the tone of it, and even though you had what happened, you know, in, in 2016, with the elections, regardless, the the last portion of that book was so very much in the same vein of that initial campaign run, right? It's the hope, it's the yes, we can. It's the regardless of what is going on at this point, there is always that possibility of the hope that will be there, of the we did it before. Yes, we can. We can do it again. And so the ending of her book was just bringing it all back full circle from 
the start of who she was, right? The very beginning of her becoming. And it's wonderful that you have this, this memoir, this, this path of, look, with all of, I was, with everything that I was faced with growing up, I was still able to achieve. I was still able to have happiness and to still be able to focus on the things that were important to me. Um, it's just like that national black anthem, right? It's, that is always the, the one kind of vein of, of, uh, uh, of a main theme for the for lift every voice and thing is always that hope we're going to always achieve more we're going to continue to strive to achieve better and so that's how the tone and the end of the book resonated with me and made me know that I loved going through this journey with her and the audiobook I I feel is special because she's narrating it and you literally, it's almost like, you know, she's having a conversation with me. And so she's going back and from her, from her very genesis of who she was, who her family was, all the way through with the White House, and then us continuing to keep up with her, you know, social media, um, news articles, you know, things like that, and to continue to see her work. And it's funny, while she was on that campaign trail and initially she had gotten that label as an angry black woman, now the amount of love that she gets from like all people, it is just amazing. I mean, she was dogged when she was in the White House. And 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 it's and she's and that's an easy target to do to people, especially when they're when they're in that particular on that particular stage. But now you know, the amount of success, what she's able to command, I mean, that literally should hopefully inspire, you know, everyone who comes across her book as, okay, I, I have kind of a, of a path of how I can figure things out, right, of how I can see where maybe my, my beginning wasn't, um, wasn't charmed or it wasn't, uh, uh, you know, especially uplifting. Um, but from what I do have, I've got some, some snatches of knowledge of how I can go forth and, and achieve. And so I feel that that section of becoming more was really continuing that same thing from their initial uh, White House run, which was the, the semblance of, of hope and the yes, we can. There's always something that we will be able to achieve. I love it. Yeah. And I, I think too, um, it goes back to, uh, the story that you shared at the beginning about her, just even in kindergarten, having such tenacity and, uh, and going to that teacher and basically, uh, requesting that she have like a redo. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so I, I think that, sharing that story at the foundation to come to, like you said, this place of becoming more. Um, it's, it's almost like it was something that was just innate with in her from the beginning, even though obviously she never expected to, to be in the white house and, and didn't even aspire for uh, Barack to be in politics. Um, but still just, you know, I, I, I like to say it's, it's just a beautiful American story. And um, like you said, I, I loved, I, uh, I really enjoyed um, experiencing the, the audio version of it. And she was actually nominated for a Grammy. So uh, very excited Woo-hoo. about that. <laughs> President Obama actually won a Grammy already for, uh, for his book. So, mm-hmm. um, so hopefully uh, Michelle, will uh, be able <laughs> to uh, receive that statue as well um, because the, the book is just, it's just overall excellent. And again, there's so many different um, pieces of it that, that leave you feeling, um, I would say, inspired. And also sometimes, you know, it's just a good grounding. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so loved chatting with you about this book uh you know you and i you and i could chat for hours oh yeah <laughs> about and this we book have. as well as other things i mean you know you <laughs> <Yes>. don't 
you don't really have to give us prompts. Uh, we will just, we will just go. Uh, so, but, um, but I am excited that I was able to, to get you on Brown Girl Radiance podcast and, um, and hopefully can get you back on here for some other seasons, just, you know, depending on the, the themes and the topics. And I just appreciate you S squared, uh, being a part of the Becoming Book Club. Why, thank you. I am very honored. So I am, I'm ready to jump on back anytime for uh, discussions more of this book or any other subjects. As you can tell, I am not shy about talking. I can talk right. to a woman. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I think, I, I think if podcasting had been a thing when we were coming up, we probably would have had a podcast. We would have for sure, because we would have, we would have, and we would have had some very timely uh, discussions. I think at that time, our podcast probably would have definitely been pop culture based. Oh yeah. So whether it's television shows, movies, sports, music, of course, music. Oh my gosh, we. Yeah. I know we. <laughs> we're still aspiring. Um, how to beat Shazam partners. <laughs> yes. I'll uh, take that million from Jamie Foxx. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we uh our our yeah, we we and and not you know, hey, and it's not too late. Who knows what the future holds, but That's when true. we were but when we were teenagers, I'm just saying our podcast would have been <laughs> awesome. Exactly. Look, as the young folks say, it would have been lit. Lit, lit. Yeah. See, I, was, I was, I was, I was gonna say lit, but then I was like, well, during our time, that wasn't a phrase. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, but, um, but yeah, I, I am trying to embrace the new, <laughs> the new. I know, girl. Terminology. It's, um, it's different. So. If you ever have a '90s show in review. As a topic, I'm one of your girls. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah. You know, since this is Brown Girl Radiance podcast, I would say we would definitely have to start with, like, Living Single or something like that because oh, that was an all-female yeah. cast. And um, actually, I was Girlfriends. Girlfriends. Oh, my gosh. Yes. When, when they had that Girlfriends reunion on Blackish, oh, my I God. lost my mind. Like, the whole yeah. time leading up to it, I was, like, putting yep. stuff on my IG stories. And um, and actually, I don't know, if, have you had a chance to see the interview they did? Um, it's on YouTube with um, with Charlemagne. Um, I have not seen little, this. It's a little over an hour long. It's so powerful. So if you get a chance, it's uh, it's under the Breakfast Club. Um, okay, and I can check out the Breakfast Club, yeah, and he's on set with them, and I mean, just the stories they share. I'm telling you, you will laugh, you might shed a tear, but yeah, those two shows, like you know, in terms of that female representation exactly. for us again during our formative years, um, I think are you know still are are timeless. Actually, you know. Oh yeah. So. Um, oh yeah, cool. and you know what? Even if there's some other shows that we look at, but we may be have a focal point of some of the, the, the black female leads or yes. um, the characterizations. Yes. Um, yes. You know, I, I go back to like family matters, right. And, and, and Laura, you yes. know, kind of how her characterization, it, it was kind of, you know, is like anybody, right. There's different aspects to you. You know, I would right. say probably early on in that series, and I'm just harping on it because I've recently watched it, but you know, earlier on when she was young, she was, uh, what probably some people would want to attribute the B word to, you know, stereotypically. And she was kind of a smart, you know, Alec and she had, you know, quippy things to say. And then as she matured, you know, she started to then be exposed to, to different things. You know, there was the issue that they had that one time where uh, a classmate wrote the, the racial slur on our, on our walker. And, you know, the fact they, they were ahead of their time. They even had the issue about, um, you know, Eddie being stopped by uh, the police officers and, and Carl's response to that. So yeah. I, I recently going back, I was like, okay, 
Okay, it wasn't all about Steve Urkel sometimes. <laughs> right. No, that that's true. That's that's an excellent point. It's it it was very timely for the nineties for sure. Once again, I appreciate you being on the show and look forward to getting you back on Brown Girl Radiance Podcast. Yay, I would love to come back. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Brown Girl Radiance Podcast, please share it with a friend so that we can continue to celebrate and shine together. Brown Girl Radiance Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, CastBox, iHeartRadio, and Pandora. If you want to stay connected to Brown Girl Radiance Podcast, you can follow me on Instagram at Brown Girl Radiance Podcast. You can feel free to email me at Brown Girl Radiance Podcast at gmail.com.